If you're involved in a bank robbery, are you excited to see the police show up? <clears throat> yes, no. What do you think? Why are you assuming that you're the robber? Uh, this is really it's kind of a sketch crowd, um, just so you know. <clears throat> if you're in the middle of a bank robbery, depending on if you're the robber or the robbee, will depend on how you feel about the police showing up, right? If you're the robber, then that's the worst news you can hear is that the sirens are going and the police are coming in. If you're the robbee, if you're face down on the floor, then the best news is the police show up. Same event, but it depends on which sort of side of this e event you're on. Uh, let me give you another one. <clears throat> If you're a teenage boy and you bring home your teenage girlfriend and your parents aren't home, are you excited or not excited that your parents show up unannounced back home? Now, as a teenage boy, that does not excite you. Who is excited about the parents of the teenage boy showing up when the couple is by themselves? The parents of the teenage girl. That's right. That's right. So as a parent of teenage girls or uh, girls like that, uh, I get that. One more. Uh, final exam time. Are you excited about final exams or not? Well, it really depends. It depends on if you're prepared or not. It depends on have you been taking notes and have you been attending class and have you studied and in my case, have you prayed? Have you got those things under control? Or did you skip class? Did you sleep through class? Did you not take notes? Did you not study? Really, judgment day is only difficult for the people who aren't prepared. That's the whole point of what we're talking about today. You'll recall that we've been walking through the uh, Apostles' Creed, this old ancient document that some people believe is as many as 1,900 years old. It's at least 1,500 years old. And it's this document that is sort of compiled of things that we believe. It's not everything that we believe, but it's important things that we believe. We've been kind of working through it the last few weeks for a couple of reasons. One reason is... There are people throughout the planet today who are quoting, who are reciting, who are reading the Apostles' Creed. And so we connect in sort of this synergistic way with Christians across the planet. But also throughout the centuries, this has been read and these people have, people have believed these things. And so we who follow Jesus believe certain things. So the Creed goes like this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And today we're going to talk about He will come to judge the living and the dead. And we believe, those of us who follow Jesus, that Jesus is coming back. And for some, that's good news. And for others, it's not so good news. By the way, uh, if you learned this as a kid, and you, the old school used to say, he will come to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, so if you were slow, you were good to go. But evidently, quick means um, living. So, uh, you know, maybe the first time I really felt good about being slow, and it really isn't that. All right, here's what we believe about Jesus coming back. Number one, we believe he's coming back. There are different ideas around what this looks like, and some of the details are different, but this is kind of one of those universal ideas that Jesus came one time, and he's going to come again. 
And there are over 300 verses in the New Testament that either talk about or allude to Jesus' return to earth. That's one out of every 30 verses in Scripture in the New Testament deal with Jesus coming back. It is a big deal. Let me give you a couple of examples. The book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke, who was a physician, was a historian. Luke writes about the beginning of the church, and that's the book of Acts. The official title is Acts of the Apostles. It really should be Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit did great things. But you have this recorded these recorded instances of the kind of the inception of the church in the book of Acts. Okay, so the disciples are with Jesus for a time after His resurrection, and then Jesus ascends. That's kind of the setup for this verse. Um, As they, the disciples, stared into the sky, watching Jesus ascend, two men in white robes, these would be angels by the way, suddenly appeared beside them. They told the startled disciples, Galileans, why are you staring up into the sky. Now, we know that these angels aren't southern because if they were, they'd have said, what y'all looking at? Uh, so that it, we know they're not southern angels. Galileans, what y'all looking at is what is the right translation. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he will come back the same way you saw him ascend. He rose from the dead. Last week we talked about he, descend, he ascended into heaven. He sits at God's mighty right hand. Someday, as, as Scripture teaches, he's coming back. Jesus promised it as well. Look at what Jesus says. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I'll come back. Sounds like you know the Terminator. I'll be back. And so I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus ascended. We believe this and that we also believe he's coming back. Now, the big question is, (laughs) the biggest question is when? The 2,000-year-old question is, when is Jesus coming back? And from the very time Jesus went into heaven, when this promise was given by the angels, the anticipation was Jesus was coming very quickly. It's kind of the idea. And there have been books written about this. Jesus, you know, when I was... um, in my 20s, there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Does anybody remember that book? It was big. People were going nuts. This guy had a date, the date. Just so you know, that didn't happen. Uh, If you're wondering, did that really happen? No, it was 88. We've been by that. So it didn't happen. So he revised his uh, calculations. Guess what his next book was? 89 Reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. You can only do that for so many years, and then eventually people stop believing you. And so people stop believing. But there have been predictions and estimations about the return of Christ for years. We don't know when He's coming back. We just don't know. However, there is some teaching around Jesus' second coming that I want to show you. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter is toward the end of the Bible, toward the end of the New Testament. There's Revelation, it's kind of a big book right at the end, but there are you know, five or six little ones right before that. 1 and 2 Peter, 1, 2, 3 John, Jude, those are all kind of little. So we're in 2 Peter chapter 3. Let me show you a couple of verses here. Peter writes, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffer will, scoffers will come scoffing. I grin at this 
every time I read it. A scoffer got to do what a scoffer got to do. I mean, if scoffers come, what else would they do? Scoffers will come uh, encouraging. No, that's not what scoffers do. Scoffers scoff. And so, <laughs> it just makes me giggle. Um, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming he promised? For 2,000 years, people have been saying, people, scoffers, have been scoffing where is this coming he promised? And ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And scoffers are going to scoff. And as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus first descended, so it is today. And it seems the longer he delays, the more people scoff. Now, Peter has an answer for this. And he says, don't forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. All right, let's talk about this verse, these verses just, just a little bit. A couple, couple of points I want to make. No matter what scoffers say, the second coming is certain. The Bible teaches it. I mean, it is like settled. It is going to happen. And, it, and Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Here's the point. You and I do not get to dictate to God when He does what He does. I would like for God to respond immediately to my prayers. I would like to, for God to respond the way I pray. I'd like Him to answer them just the way I pray. However, God knows more than I do, and He is in charge, and He's going to do the right thing, and we do not get to dictate when He does what He does. As a parent, I have kids. I can manage my kids to to certain certain measure of speed. So let's say it's time for bed. I can say to Elise, it's time for bed. I need you to hustle up and go, you know, brush your teeth and whatever, you know, whatever you do to get ready for, for bed. Uh, you can tell I don't handle this at my house. Miriam does this. But anyway, um, when Miriam's not here, I'll just say, go do what you do and, and that, you know, hustle up. I, I can speed her up. Here's something that cannot, doesn't happen at my house. She cannot speed me up. In fact, here's what happens with me when my girls try to speed me up. I go slower. <laughs> like... Basically, the message is you're not the boss of me yet. Okay, now someday, I'm old, decrepit, you get to tell me what to do, but that, ain't, that day ain't today, is what I want to say to him. Okay, not today. So, God is on his own time for, uh, table, and he does what he wants to when he wants to. It's called sovereignty. And when you're God, when you create a universe, you can do what you want to do with that universe. That's just the point. So, he's coming... He's coming on His own time. The second thing is, there is a reason for the delay. There's a purpose. It says here, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. This reveals the tender heart God has toward people. Um, I love this meme. This is my favorite meme. Um, I had my patience tested. I'm negative. Judge Judy, everybody. Judge Judy. I know that many of you love Judge Judy. Okay, anyway. Um, God's 
patience sometimes is uh, off-putting. We, we wish she would create justice now. Why does it take care of this now? I'm sick now. I need healing now. I want it now. And God's patience is sometimes annoying, just to be honest with you. But, but God is patient in this regard because He... Here's the deal. God is patient because He wants the most bang for His buck. Let me explain. Jesus going to the cross and, and carrying the weight of all people's sins on His shoulders is a huge cost. And He wants to get as many people saved as possible because He's paid an incredibly high price. Now, I have been created in the image of God. I understand trying to get the most bang for the buck. You probably do too. If you're on Woodruff Road, you have options for meals. There's a lot of places you can eat. Nice, fancy places. There are places that cost some money. But you also have an option that I often choose. It's called Costco. All right? Um, look, for $1.50, I can get an all-beef hot dog or Polish and a 20-ounce soda. $1.50. Where else are you going to get that deal right there? Now, when I go get that, I make sure I fill my cup up twice because I can. When I get my hot dog, and they're a foot long, does that what it says? All beef hot. Look how long it is. I mean, it's like, it's this long. And so, what do you do? Do you eat it with just the bun? No, because $1.50 don't grow on trees. So, I go over to the condiment station. I load it up with onions. Miriam loves that. Um, I put relish, just like that picture, actually. I'll pour on some mayo, some mustard, some ketchup, because here's the deal. I'm going to get my money's worth for $1.50. And I take the girls, and it's a time, it's a night out for us. I mean, that's we can get out of there for five dollars. It's a good day for us. So the Lord looks at the human race, and He paid a high price. The, the trick isn't, or the, the amazing thing isn't that Jesus is coming back. It's that He came in the first place. Look, look at what it says about the cost He, he paid. Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The point is this. That is a very expensive thing He did. For God to take our sins away cost Jesus His life. He is delaying coming back because then it's done. And everybody that could be saved has not a chance anymore. And so, thus, the delay. The delay is purposeful. So, second coming is certain. The delay is purposeful. And here's the third thing. The second coming will be sudden and unexpected. It's going to be a surprise. It says right here, the day of the Lord will be like a thief. Now, I have never been in on a heist, but I have watched some heist movies and documentaries. I like those. I like it when they play like Ocean's Eleven. That's really great, you know, because they're making all these plans. 
Here's what I know about every heist I've ever heard of or watched. Nobody calls ahead to tell them that they're coming. Uh, Hello, People's Bank? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be there about two. I'm going to rob you guys. And um, if you could have the bills, I'd like them unmarked. And don't put that die pack in there. And put them in a bag. See, I've watched a lot of these movies. Put them in a bag. And I'll pick it up at two. I'll be in there. I'll have a mask on. You'll know me. Uh, You know, that kind of thing. Okay. Not one time have I ever seen that happen. When the Lord comes, it will be, it's certain, it's delayed for a purpose, and it will be surprising. Now, we believe He's coming. We believe it's certain. We believe there's a reason it hasn't happened yet, and we believe it will come like a thief in the night. That's one thing that we believe. The second thing we believe is that God, when He sends Jesus back, it will be with a purpose. We're going to talk about the purpose. See, Jesus isn't coming back just for a social visit. He's not going to catch some you know, of the, the shows on Broadway. He's not going to get lunch at Bojangles. The, the, he's coming for a reason. I don't know about you, you may not be this age yet, but sometimes, occasionally, I'll walk into a room and forget why I'm there. I don't know if that ever happens to you, but occasionally that happens to me. Jesus isn't going to get like halfway here and go, why am I going? I mean, he's going to have a purpose. The Blues Brothers, remember that movie? Uh, We're on a mission from God. Well, Jesus, when he comes back the second time, is going to be on a mission from God. If you have your Bibles, let's turn back to Matthew 24. We're going to be there just for a couple of minutes. Matthew 24, 25, okay? So Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. Now, book of Matthew's interesting. Um... Basically, the book of Matthew is kind of divided into five big chunks, kind of five different teachings of Jesus. They're called discourses. And the last one is called the Olivet Discourse. And he's standing on or sitting on the Mount of Olives when he gives this. And he tells his disciples this really, really, really good news. Jesus tells his disciples, Then you'll be arrested and persecuted and killed, and you'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Wow. Wow. Thanks. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for that encouragement. And and this is part of the teaching. And then he gives a couple of parables. A parable is just a fictitious story with a spiritual point. And he tells this parable of the virgins, the ten bridesmaids. And what happened in that era, in that day, unlike today, you know, today um, weddings are incredibly well planned for the most part. I have seen more detail go into weddings than armies going into war. I mean, really, they, they, everything is a detail if you want it to be. Um, And so you have to pick out the dress. Evidently, that's a big, big deal. Um, Is it? I don't care. Uh, There's a dress thing going on. And then you have to have the right uh, reception, and you have to have the right food at the reception, and you have to have the right doilies at the reception, and you have to have the right uh, centerpieces at the reception, and then you have to have the right groom, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So there's stuff you got to have, from what I understand. Now... This parable is about these ten bridesmaids, and in that era, in Jesus' era, first century, a groom would come back for the bride, but it really wasn't exactly detailed when he was coming. It could be at night, 
And so the bride doesn't know. We're going to talk about this. I don't know if it's next week or the week after. This is super interesting stuff. But the, the groom asks this girl, well, actually, the dad's kind of arranged this, to be his bride. And when she says yes, then his task at that point, this is the engagement period, is to go and prepare a place for her. Just like Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, that, that's groom talk. A groom will go and prepare a place. And so the groom prepares a place, and when the place is ready, his dad, the groom's dad, says, you can go get her now. So the groom doesn't even know. But when it's time, and he's given the word, he goes back to get his bride. Now that's why the bridesmaids are waiting, because they don't know. It sort of makes no sense to us, because we would have it planned. Well, the wedding is at 2. <laughs> he's coming at 2. Why would, they, why would they be waiting? Well, because it's a different culture, and they did it a different way. And so if the dad says to the groom at 2 in the morning, it's time. <laughs> Now, every man in here who's ever thought about being married or has been married, if when you get the go-ahead, you have uh, motivation to go get married. I mean, you got motivation. Y'all, are you tracking with me? Motivation like honeymoon? Uh, you tracking with me? Okay, there's motivation to go. And so the daddy says to the groom, uh, you can go. And he's like, well, I'm tired. Um, I'll go tomorrow. Yeah, nobody's going to do that. So that's why it was sudden. And Jesus gives this parable about these, these ten bridesmaids who are hanging out with the, the bride. And they are waiting because the word could come any moment. And the point is... You have to be ready because Jesus will come back. We just saw the verse, like a thief in the night. He's not going to call ahead. He's not going to tell you. He's not going to give you warning. It's going to happen. And then he gives this other parable, another parable, about um, it, it's about talents, and that was a form of money. And, and you could invest it, and a couple of these guys invested the, 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 the talents that they had been given, but one guy didn't, and the point was the same point. Jesus often did this, tells the same story. Uh, makes the same point with different stories. And he makes the point that you have to be ready when Jesus comes. And then he explains it. So he tells, hey guys, it's going to be bad. It's going to be tough for a while. you got to be ready. I'm coming back. And this is what it's going to look like when I come back. This is what he says. When the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Kind of interesting stuff he's talking about here. Now, in Jesus' day, there were scoffers who scoffed. People called Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law and people who didn't believe in Jesus. And they're the ones who railroaded Him and had Him executed. And there's a lot of people who didn't believe in Jesus. And today it's the same way. There are people who scoff and who belittle and who make fun of and who deride folks who follow Jesus. 
The way it was then is kind of the way it is now. And there are people today who think that we are not very bright for believing, number one, that Jesus came in the first place, and number two, to believe that He's coming again. And so Jesus kind of makes a point here. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and there's going to be a moment in time where everybody understands that this was the truth. There's going to be a moment in time where every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's something else here I want to point out. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, his audience would have understood this. I, I have never seen a shepherd separate sheep from goats. Has anybody seen that? None of us. Okay. Evidently, what first century herdsmen would do is put them together during the day, but they would separate them at night because they sleep differently. From what I read, the sheep are okay kind of out in the open, but the goats kind of uh, get close for warmth. It's kind of a different deal. And so they separate them because they sleep differently. But they kind of graze the same way, but there are differences. And when Jesus uses this illustration... His audience would have understood. I'm going to give you some of the differences between sheep and goats. The sheep are gentle, quiet, and easily led, whereas goats are kind of pushy and headstrong. They, they like to get their way, from what I understand. That's their disposition. And they often use their horns to butt people out of the way, butt other goats out of the way, that kind of thing. So they're a much more aggressive animal. Sheep are passive. Goats are naturally quarrelsome and short-tempered. Sheep are high maintenance, and goats, you can just let them go. Now, the 23rd Psalm, which many of you know, maybe you even know it by heart, is this beautiful psalm about a shepherd and sheep. <laughs> and, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, he takes me to uh, green pastures. Sheep are high maintenance. And they will not drink if the water is, is going too quickly and that sort of thing. They need quiet waters. They need still waters. They need grass. They need to feel safe. And so sheep are high maintenance, which is really interesting to me because the Bible calls those of us who follow Christ often calls us sheep. Goats, not so much. They kind of do their own thing. Now, here's another one that's kind of interesting to me. Sheep are easily domesticated, and they kind of stay domesticated. However, if a goat is kind of left out, they can go wild, they can revert to wildness quickly. Not so much sheep. There are wild sheep, I don't mean that, but they don't revert to wildness quickly. And they both are wanderers. Sheep, however, wander differently than goats. Goats have a tendency to go further away. They have a tendency to, um, to go higher up. They, they are, it's just the nature of a goat. Now, Jesus' audience would have understood this. And so here you can see goats have the horns, sheep's not, not the horns, and then you can kind of separate them a little bit, but they kind of look alike. And here's something I didn't know. Ancient people drew a moral analogy from sheep and goats. So it wasn't, it wasn't just sheep and goats. The thing about sheep that our ancient, uh, the ancient folks would have understood, because if they had been around sheep, they knew this. They're incredibly loyal. Um, a male 
sheep will take care of his harem of sheep. If there is an attack, uh, this male sheep is incredibly industrious and, and willing to give its life to protect um, the female sheep in its harem, in its group. Um, this male sheep will fight for uh, his harem of, of sheep and doesn't let other males come in and, and uh, make off with any of his sheep. I mean, he, he is protective. And the ancients liked this about sheep. They, they, they had a disposition of protection. And, and if there's an attack, the male sheep will encircle the female sheep and the children you know, um, like on a ship, you're supposed to be, you know, women and children first. Well, sheep kind of model that. Goats, however, uh, not so much. They, they really, if, if another male goat comes in and takes one of the female, the male doesn't really care. That doesn't really protect his, his sheep, if you will. And in the ancient times, um, goats had a, a reputation of being stubborn and destructive and men whose wives committed adultery were often called goats because that's the disposition. So Jesus says the sheep who have a disposition that models those of us who follow Christ, we uh, follow, uh, we submit, we don't have to have our own way. Remember the Bible talks a lot about pride and pride kind of seems to be the thing of goats. Look at what it says here. The king will say to those on his right, those are the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now who gets to keep an inheritance? An inheritance is given to someone who's part of the family, right? An inheritance is given to someone after somebody else dies. And this is sort of the first invitation, uh, the second invitation. The first invitation Jesus said, uh, gave was, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take, my, take your yoke upon me, uh, take my yoke upon you, my burden is light, that sort of thing. So the first, the, the first invitation isn't difficult. Here's what happens with us. We get this notion that we have to earn our way into God's favor. But salvation is admitting I can't and He can. Salvation is humbling ourselves and saying, I can't do this and I accept this gift gladly. So he's, He says, come you who are blessed, take the inheritance. Let me give you an illustration. Anybody in here ever have to do those school fundraisers? Anybody? Yeah. Um, School fundraiser in the Greek uh, is the word Satan. Uh, just so you know, I don't want you to know that. In the Greek. <clears throat> All right. You know how this goes. Your kid goes to school one day. You're oblivious. You're a parent. You don't know what's going on, but they're, go they're getting the, the, the spiel, right? And, and the shtick is this. If you sell, and it, you know, fill in the blank, um, this tin of popcorn or uh, Christmas wrapping paper, or um, you can buy a bucket of cookie dough, or whatever, you know, whatever they're selling. If you sell, if you sell two, we're going to give you this smiley face sticker, which is the sticker of shame because you only sold two. And everybody, if you wear the smiley face sticker, you might as well put loser across your head because you only sold two, loser. But if you sell five, you get this pencil. 
It's not a mechanical pencil. It's not a cool pencil. It doesn't glow in the dark. It's a pencil with like a troll on it or something stupid. But you sell five, you get a pencil. But, 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 if you sell a million, you can win this motor scooter. So the kid comes home. What do they want? Do they want the sticker? No. Do they want the troll pencil? No. What do they say? They say, Mommy, Mommy. At school today, they said I could win this motor scooter for selling a few of these things. And mommy says, how many? And you say a million. I only have to sell a million. And I remember Miriam having these conversations. We're not going to be able to sell a million. We can't do that. So this is the kids' comeback, right? The kids' comeback. Well, if you take it to your work, and daddy takes it to his work, and we take it to church. And then if we get outside of Walmart, because nobody else ever has that idea, if we get outside of Walmart, we could sell a million. And Miriam, uh, I've, I've heard the conversation. She, she said, what, what can you win for a million? I can win a motor scooter. And so this was our answer to all these things. How about we do this? How about we buy you a motor scooter? <laughs> Let's go that route, okay? Let's go with, uh, I'll spend a little money at Christmas and get you a motor scooter so we don't have to sell a million buckets of popcorn or whatever we're selling. Now, here, here's the point. Why do we work for something we simply have to ask for? Why do we think we have to work for it? when God wants to give it to us. Why do we do that? In Isaiah it says, it is your sin that separates you from God. It's not God who separates us from God. So God sent Jesus to close the gap. And then Jesus said, come you who are weary and tired of trying to work your way into favor with God. You're weary and burdened because you're trying to keep a bunch of rules. You're trying to sell a bunch of popcorn. You're trying to do something to please somebody. And all you have to do is ask. Salvation isn't about doing more or working harder or being better. It's about asking and receiving. That's all it is. You don't have to work for it. And the sheep get the inheritance. But we're not all sheep. But what happens to the goats? Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And it is a truth, and it is a truth that we don't enjoy talking about. But, let me put it this way, and I think it might help. God has the right to punish sin. In fact, if He doesn't punish sin, then He's not just. If you're driving along, what road takes us from here to Atlanta? I-85? I-85. You're on I-85, going toward Atlanta. You're in your minivan, or whatever you're driving. You're in the right-hand lane because you're sane. All right, great, all right, great. And you're not passing somebody. And all of a sudden... 
in your rearview mirror or your side mirror, you see this red missile coming toward you. It's a Maserati. You ever seen a Maserati out? I mean, they're, they're crazy fast. And this Maserati blows by you at 125 miles an hour. And what you can tell, because you could barely see it, he had a smirk on his face. Because you know he's a Maserati. He's a punk. I mean, you know that, right? You know. So he flies by you at 125. Now, at this point, the one thing you want... Now, I, I don't know if... I'm going to transpose how I feel onto you. The one thing... I want, when I top the hill, the next hill I come to, is to see blue lights and a red Maserati. That's what I want. I want red and blue. I want them both right there. And when I drive by, I want to slow down and wave, because that's what I want to do. Because innately, we want justice. We want it. Let's go back just for a second to that stupid illustration about the fundraiser. Let's say you sell a million tubs of cookie dough. And it's, it's award day. It's award day. And, and they say, Joseph, come up. You sold a million buckets of cookie dough. And I come up there all proud. And they say, here's your, here's your scooter. It's like, right on. You know, and people are golf clapping, you know, like at the Masters. And uh, everybody's excited about it. And then they say, Jimmy, Jimmy, come on up here. You didn't sell any, but we're going to give you a scooter too. Now, how would you feel? I'd be chopping Jimmy in the neck. I mean, I would be... I'd be kicking people in the shins. I'd be mad as I could be because that's not justice. Because I worked. Jimmy didn't do jack squat, and he doesn't deserve... A motor scooter. In Genesis 18, Abraham, uh, God tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And evidently, Abraham has read the art of the deal, I, I, I think, because he starts to negotiate with God. This is a cool story. And he said, God, how are you going to destroy everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah? If there are 50 righteous people there, are you going to do that? Are you going to destroy the good people with bad people? And God says, no. And Abraham says, well, now for 50 you won't want to do it. How about for 40? And what if they're only 40? And then he keeps negotiating. What if they're only 10? And in this negotiation, Abraham says this, far be it from you, God, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? See, ultimately, if sins were to go unnoticed and unpunished, God wouldn't be just. Now, people will say, well, how, how is a loving God, how does a loving God send people to hell? But I want you to notice something about that story. Jesus isn't choosing who's a goat and who's a sheep. He's just separating people from who, as they are. He's just separating people. He's not picking who gets to go where. He's separating people, and in our case, it's people who've made a conscious choice. Here, here's the deal. When you receive truth, whether you like it or not, you have to do something with it. If you go to the doctor and he gives you a diagnosis you don't like, 
It doesn't matter that you don't like it, and it doesn't matter if you ignore it. At some point, you're going to have to do something about the diagnosis, even if you don't like the diagnosis. If you go to work tomorrow and they give you a pink slip, it doesn't matter if you don't like the fact that you're going to get the pink slip, you're going to have to do something about it. There comes a point in life where there is truth and you've got to do something about it. And our truth is this. It is our sins that separate us from God. That's the truth. I don't like it. It doesn't make it not true. Now here's what's good news today. If you're a believer, then you should walk out of this room and think to yourself, I have an inheritance coming, not one percent of anything I've ever done, but because I've asked Jesus to take away my sins and guide my life. I have accepted a free gift. I'm a sheep who's accepted a free gift. I haven't earned it, don't deserve it, I get it, I get the inheritance, and I didn't do anything to make it happen. On the other side of the coin, if you're here today, and you've not ever done that, you've been trying to work your way into God's good graces, the good news is you don't have to work your way into God's good graces. Today is a day where you could just pray, Lord, I've been trying real hard to win something that I don't even have to win. Today, I'm going to ask you to forgive my sins, come into my life, and we're going to walk the rest of my life together. You and me. And I'm going to mess up, and you're going to forgive me because that's who you are, and that's what you do, and you love me, and that's, this is what we're going to do. It's good news either way. If I'm already in, good news. If I'm not already in, I can be in, and that's good news too. It's good news either way. We believe that Jesus is coming again, and when He does, it's with the purpose, and the purpose is judgment. For some, it's good news. For some, it isn't. And this is the truth that we have to deal with. Father, we thank You for opening up Scripture to us and showing us things and helping us understand. And we love You. We thank You for Jesus and the sacrifice He made. And help us not take it lightly. And help us not ignore a truth that we need to deal with. We pray this and we thank You for this in Jesus' name. Amen.